0: Okay, we're going to just continue. And I'm going to trust God to continue uh, from, from what we had uh, previous. But again, when we, when we go uh, to, the, to the book of Genesis, and of course Genesis, uh, Bereshit in, in the Hebrew, it just simply means the beginning. It's the beginning of everything. But when we look at Genesis and where we look at, when we begin to ponder and see foundational truth, and prophecy when we see that it's talking about in genesis that starting with genesis it has to do with the earth but what we have and what these eternal realities are and the way that god sees it and the way that he sees it from an eternal viewpoint because even time he sees he he saw as an opportunity Uh, for every single person, of course, starting with Adam and Eve, an opportunity. And that opportunity was the very fact that God had actually made the heavens and the earth, and he even appointed this little earth. (laughs) This little, when you think about it, even in terms of the Milky Way and what the earth is, it's, 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 you can't even consider it like a speck compared to just, never mind eternity, but all just in the Milky Way, (laughs) the universe and the galaxies. But actually, God and his eternal knowledge and wisdom and in the eternal embrace with his Son, in John 1 and verse 1, the same in verse 2 of, of, of John 1, that was in the beginning. And when that talks about beginning, that's eternity. <laughs> so, before Genesis and before anything was, when we think about this, and, and this is why foundational truth is so extremely, extremely important, and can't, you can't even understand prophecy, or these things, as Mike said, these climatic events, you, they, they don't even make sense without the foundation. They don't, they, there's no sense in them. And so when you can even consider that, consider this, and we'll, I'll just read this in, in, in John 1, in verse 1, it says, in the beginning, and really what it's saying is in the beginning, as far as we in our finite minds can think and understand, let's just say eternity past, <laughs> past in, in, in terms of before anything was created or anyone was born, a race through Adam was created, or an angelic host first, and then the race. Before any of that was, God is. <laughs> Many have referred to it and in, in over the years, as far as in, in my studies and so forth, as the eternal is. <laughs> God is. And he's eternal life. He, he's eternal life, and in that eternal life, in this eternal life he had no he had no beginning and he'll have no end okay that that's eternal life the life that god is so when it says in the beginning the word and the word with god and the word god that word with there is a is a phenomenal word in the original languages of the koine greek it's the word pros p r o s it's it's pros And that means this eternal affectionate embrace between the Father and the Son with the Holy Spirit proceeding. And as he embraced his Son, did he ever see him as not the Lamb? Because the Word of God is is in the types and all the way to Revelations when you see the, the word Lamb all throughout there. He always is. And so when we go there, when we go there and we look at this, In the eternal mind of God, of course, he foresaw the eruption of sin. He foresaw it. Now, and in terms of his, the depth of his fellowship with his son, nothing could disturb or distract that because there was nothing in in them that would would be uh, this evil effect of a fall, nothing. So they had this eternal embrace, which was incredible. But that's when, of course, in his eternal mind, and (laughs) what we have to understand is is that, as we've said so many times, as God's taught us, I don't know, probably a decade or more ago, uh, you know, in Texas, when we begin to to share that, uh, you know, it's very important to understand the essence, the nature and character of God. We need to understand that. And... What we understand about him is he is eternal life, meaning he had no beginning and'll have no end. He had no beginning and will have no end. So he's always been. God has always been. And God who's always been to be God, that means he in first John 3:20 it says he knows all things. Well, how long has God known all things? as anything that ever, began to be apart from him, did he not know it in its fullness? From beginning, eternity, all the way through time, to eternity again. No, he knows all things. So that means he knows all things all at once. So this is what's included in foundation, and this is what is included in our foundation, and this is why it's very important. See, our foundation was established in eternity. (laughs) Think about it. Our eternity, our eternal destiny through Christ, having put on humanity in John 1 and verse 14. He's our whole foundation. So the foundation, that's why it says in 2 Peter 1 and verse 19, we have 18 and 19, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Why? Because our foundation was established in Christ in the most intimate way, in the most intimate way in the heavens, and that's why we're called a heavenly people, and that's why the the epistle to Ephesians with Colossians brings out crystal clear. Now, Ephesians goes into the heavenly position. It also does in Colossians, but with with what we're passing through in time on the earth, of course, and by the time we get to the fourth uh, chapter of Ephesians, right through to the 6th chapter, we can see that. But our foundation was established in, in, as a basis of an intimate relationship with God through Christ, with the Holy Spirit proceeding from both, that nothing can disturb or distract. Nothing can disturb or distract us when we are in His presence. And because in his presence, what do we have? In Psalm 16, verse 11, we have the fullness of what? We have the fullness of his joy. We wouldn't even have any if it wasn't his. We have the fullness of joy. The reason is, where does the joy proceed from? And as is brought out in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, where it says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is the first cause is love. What's the first effect of it? Joy. Whose joy? God's joy, and that's why Christ had to come out and put on humanity, obviously. And that's what all these types are bringing out. But for us, for us, first, first, everything about us as the church, as his bride, as his body, we are his body, flesh and bones, Ephesians 5.30. Okay, in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, we're the body of Christ, we're members in particular. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, we're members in particular. Listen to what that's saying. We make up the beauty, each of us, and only the way that we could as each individual make up the beauty of his bride. So we are his bride in Revelation 19, verses 7 and 9. We are his bride, we are his body, Flesh and bones. And we are his church in Matthew 16 and verse 18. That's when Jesus said that. And at the time, it was kingdom teaching. But at that time, he said, said, I will, future, build my church. But in the eternal mind of God, when was that established? When was everything taken care about us, even before we were born in time? Think, Think about that. It was in the eternal mind of God, in this eternal embrace between the Father and Son and Holy Spirit proceeding from both as one. And you can see this, the clarity of what we have in the scriptures. And again, it's even brought out in the types, in the types that we see when God commanded Moses, uh, 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 Noah to build the ark. And that is teaching things, eternal realities in time. As as he was going to deal with the earth, but truthfully, when did he deal about us as his church in Christ? And did he also, in his eternal mind, deal with the realities on the earth? Yes, and that's what prophecy is bringing out. And that's why that's why there's no fear in it. So we know this: that here it is that God appointed this tiny little sphere called this little dust particle and time began in Genesis and the eternal mind of God saw all of it. <laughs> that's why in, in so many times as God has taught us, we bring, up, we bring up that we're the dot that's on the dot called the earth. <laughs> it's so incredible. And that when we received Christ, God encircled himself around us. What is is encircled around us? The Father and Son in this intimate relationship that could only be brought out to us in his Christ humanity being human as we are. And one in verse 14, but with all three for us. So, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when we look at that, that's why we understand in Romans 8 and verse 31, God for us, who against us? God before us, who against us? When was God for us? Before trouble hit us. Before we fell in sin. Before anything. Before anything. That's what makes it so important that now that we are in Christ as his church, that we don't know one another after the flesh, And 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16. And we don't even know him after the flesh, by the way. And really what that's teaching is we don't even know him. We, as the church, don't know him. We know that he is and was, he was the Messiah that was rejected by Israel in John 1 verse 11 in terms of his humanity. But we don't know him like that. We know him. We know him as our head in Colossians 1.18 and 2.19. We know him, and and him being the head, when the head functions properly over the body, we realize who we are in our own individuality, as it is brought out. So as far as time and this little space of the earth, it it was to be for the kingdom of God. Now, Remember when Jesus was telling the disciples and the Pharisees, he, he said the kingdom of God does not come with observation, meaning you trying to figure it out, but the kingdom of God is within. And that was in Luke 17 and verse 21. And what he was saying is the kingdom of God did reside in him to the Jews, for the Jews on earth. But and we know in John 1 verse 11, they rejected him. And that's when the parentheses for the church came in. And that parentheses in John 1 12. But, and that but does what? It separates and brings in a contrast. <laughs> Jew, church. Rejection, we don't know Christ like that anymore, ever. And now we know him as our beloved. And Song of Solomon will. We'll, Song of Solomon brings that out very beautifully. Song of Solomon brings out in a very beautiful pictorial form the realities of Christ with His Church. By the way, it's not just some, uh, you know, Jewish uh, story, love story, as some would teach it that way, but the Scriptures have to do with Christ as the Word, and so the kingdom. We have the kingdom, and that was. Uh, to be on the earth, but that was his eternal counsel. He had this eternal counsel in the fact that he appointed this little earth to be the scene for both the revelation of what? His invisible essence. And it was invisible. It was only known very much in part until what? Until Christ put on humanity and, and came out and visibly and demonstratively brought out Christ his Father, him, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why it says in Colossians 2 and verse 9 that the whole time that Christ walked the face of the earth, he was filled up with all that God is. That's brought out, and it was brought out even in his, the beginning of his three-and-a-half-year public ministry in Matthew 3 and verse 16 and 17 as was brought out in the types about the dove who brought back uh, the olive leaf. And so we see this. It's for the revelation of the invisible essence of God. And what? For the operation of his eternal love. A love that he so loved each and every single individual. And so what did he do? In the beginning, in the beginning, (laughs) in Genesis Chapter 1, verses 3 to 31, because he had to recreate the earth because of a cataclysm revolt revolt in heaven that had to do with the host of the angels, and that's brought out in Ezekiel the 28th chapter, Isaiah the 14th chapter, and, and brought out again in Revelations chapter uh, 12 and verse 4. It's brought out that way clearly. But prior to that, that's that's explaining Genesis chapter uh, Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. But then God began to recreate in 3 through 31 the earth and he wanted to create it for the purpose of his kingdom to rule and reign with his love with the authority of his love over Adam and Eve. And so that's why he created him in his image. And the image of God and, and God is a A triune, they have a triune oneness as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Separate, distinct individuals, yet one in essence. And that's why the way that God sees us in Christ, he sees us in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, spirit, soul, and body. And we brought out the types about light, even, even in the fact about, like, like a peach, there's three, like if you eat a peach, there's three parts to that peach. There's the flesh, there's the hard shell, and then there's that little, for lack of a better word, that little nut in between. And so God brings this out. We are created in the image of God, male and female, as the head and crown of all his created beings. But then we see the history of the world. We see the history of the world beginning there and in time. And the kingdom of God begins with him, Adam. But what happened? He fell. And his fall from God brought what? Death, corruption, and corruption to the whole creation as a result of that. You see that in Genesis 3 and verse 17. And we can see it in the creative groaning that we've gone into, the groaning and sighing. And that would start with uh, Romans 8 and verse 19 down to verses 23 to 25. So we see that there's redemption. And then this redemption here was his whole plan to be redeemed from the fall. Now this is the type of the ark that Noah built and was brought out. To, re- to be redeemed from the fall and will be completed in and with even the glorifications of the heaven and the earth. Now, the scriptures bring that out. Even the heavens, it says in Job 15 and verse 15, are not clean in his sight because that's where the angelic revolt and conflict took place. So when Christ died on Calvary, okay, what did he deal with? The heavens and the earth. The angelic conflict, our heavenly position in Christ, And everything on the earth ultimately where we're going to be led uh, during the millennial reign and then on into the eternity of the eternities as Revelations 19, 20, 21, and 22 bring out. And so that's going to also be brought out again where the earth will be taken care of as well as the heavens. And that's brought out in Isaiah 65 and verse 17. 66 and verse 22 and in 2 Peter 3 and verse 13 and again in Revelations 21 and verse 1. God. So we see God and his operation, his eternal mind. This all took place. (laughs) All took place in the eternal mind of God. That was part of of that affectionate embrace because if God would embrace And he did, his son, when he came out and put on humanity, when we receive him, he embraces us. Of course, not in the way that only deity is, but in the most fantastic way, in the most way that we can identify with a proper image when Christ put on humanity. So we see that by sin, sin, men departed and separated themselves from God. But God, and you can see but God, you'll see where we formerly functioned in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, but then but God, because of his infinite mercy and grace, did not cut himself off from men, his creation, his, his particular creatures. He didn't cut himself off. But what? not only did he announce redemption, not only did he do that, along with the the discipline immediately after the fall. But from that time forward, he continued to reveal himself to all mankind, that he might draw them back to himself and lead them, like he does lead us when we submit, to lead them from the path of destruction to the only way of salvation. And we know the only way in Acts 4.12, based upon Job 9 in verse 33 and 1st Timothy 2 in verse 5 it's only through through Christ these and so we see all these operation uh, operations of this phenomenal salvation being revealed in time God revealing his eternal mind his eternal plan and salvation of course but did he what did he do first what did he do first? He, of course, he had to deal with that universal spread of corruption. That was even mercy. The flood was the was the incredible grace and mercy of God Almighty, because we know He doesn't do God does nothing out of spite and anger. That would be wrong. It's always done with love and wrath, and that has to do with with His justice being fulfilled, so that His love can be a just love. And then, in then and only then, can it flow out freely through the grace and truth that's in Christ Jesus. And that's why when he was crucified, when he was crucified, what came out, what flooded out was the grace and truth that he is. Also with his justice being dealt with. And in the eternal mind of God, even with prophecy as we look at it, that has been dealt with by God, through Christ on Calvary, and we're gonna see it. We're gonna see the fullness of it. So we see that. And so, you know, by the time we got to here, we, when we got to Genesis, the sixth chapter, and there's so much. I just feel like there's so much. Just to get back to where we were on Monday, there's so much that to miss. But I just have to trust God and, and just so he'll bring out, obviously, his sentence that can only come from his presence in Psalm 17 and verse 2. So we know that the flood was brought because the imagination, purpose, thought, and every single thing about every single individual apart from Christ would only be evil continually, altogether evil continually. And that's in Genesis 6 and verse 5 and in Genesis 8 and verse 21. So, and, and again, we know... And I'm not going to get into the Hebrew language and the different things that involve that language. But we know that when he said that in Genesis 6 and verse 5 and Genesis 8 and verse 21, it's, 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 like, it's like the Greek imperative. It's just, Greek imperative means it's continual. And that's, it was in the Hebrew language, it's imperative. Uh, it's in it's in the imperfect i should say and the imperfect means it's only would only continue to be that in other words all those that died in the flood would, would and even when they were after 120 years of mocking and rejecting noah and the fact that he was preaching christ and they were rejecting christ not noah they were rejecting the message and of course they're going to reject the messenger, but they were mocking God under the influence of the enemy, and their wills, as God had seen, there's no way they were going to change. That's why people are in hell. That's why. Because it's imperfect. They would only continually, and if they even entered into the ark, if they even entered into that, it would be just to escape the punishment and continue with the evil in their will. And that's why only eight went in. And of course, we know the number eight, and we'll get into some of these numbers in the near future to understand the types with them, is the number for resurrection. The sun rises in the east. We know Resurrection. And you can see the types. The the sun rises in the east, it sets in the west. And uh, we have that resurrection life in Christ in Romans 8, verse 11. And so when he rose, we rose with him. And that's a picture again of the ark above all all those waters. And so as I do the best that I can to, to, to go into this, we know that now that Noah is in the ark, okay? He's in in the ark, and from the time, from the time when the flood began till the, the rains stopped and the waters began to recede from the earth, he was in that ark for a minimum of a year. So you can imagine not only 120 years of building the ark, but preparing all the food for the eight, uh, human beings that would be in there, and all those animals. It's quite an undertaking. So we know that that's a, as as long as he was in there. Something it was a minimum of a year. Something as best as I have studied, uh, a year and ten days, but just a year at least. He was in that ark, and of course we saw there that. We, we went into the types. The ark is the presence of Christ. They, they were in it. They were to pitch it within and without. Within and without. And I think in some measure, and not, not straining the types, but he pitched it within and without. And, and we're protected absolutely by the blood of Christ. There's no question about it. Nothing. Now that he's finished the work and poured out his blood, his soul life, that's blood, and many believe that's where the soul resides. And that's exactly what I believe as far as the scriptures and in, in, in the studies that I've had over the over these uh, few decades. But and that's why again the ark was pitched within and without, and there was only one window, and their view was to be vertical, they were to look up. After that, after that, we see the first the first raven he let fly out. Again, even the ravens. There's a type of that because we saw that the, the raven went out. Okay, it went out, and to, for him to find out if the earth, the waters of judgment had receded, he sent the raven out. Now, did the okay? And so did did the raven did it went out. Where did it go? What do ravens feed on? Dead carcasses. So when the flood was there and it receded, there was the the carcasses of all those animals and everyone else that the raven would would feed upon. And a raven feeds upon death. But the dove, and again, we know the dove here, again, in type, is a type of the Holy Spirit. It's also, we can see, and we, we will see that, in the types in Song of Solomon 1 and verse 15, in Song of Solomon 4 and verse 1, in Song of Solomon 5 and verse 12, when it's talking about the woman there is a type of the church, and she's talking about her beloved, and that's Christ. And she said, he had eyes like a dove. It doesn't say like in the King James that he had dove's eyes. It says that he had eyes like a dove, meaning he was filled with the Holy Spirit Every single thing he did in glorifying the Father was he was being led in his humanity by the Holy Spirit, and that's why we see even in Matthew 3 and verse 16 that the, that the Spirit, you hear a voice from heaven, God the Father in heaven, the Son, the Son of God in the humanity of the Son of Man there, and then you see, you, you see the dove, and that's the fullness of, the, of God in him. And in Colossians 2, 9, the fullness, the whole time he walked the face of the earth, he was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's what we have as His church. Even again, brought back from John 1, verses 1 and 2. And so when we look at that, again, he sent out the dove the first time. When it came back, the second time, and it did come back It came back the first time. It didn't have the olive branch in it. But then the second time, the dove did come back. It it did come back because it had the olive branch, an olive. And we went into the type of of olive. Christ was like that. On the cross, he was crushed. And he was crushed. And being crushed, he was dealing with death, the power of death, over satan and we see that in hebrews 2 and verses 14 and 15 brought out crystal clear and then life out by crushing him and you know back then they uh, to anoint their heads with oil and you see that in, in in psalm 23 he anoints my head with oil that's a type of the holy spirit and the holy spirit was the anointing on our head, Christ. We submit to him, and then our head is anointed with the truth about who we are in Christ. And that's why it says in John 16, in verses 13 and 14, God the Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ and he shows them unto us in the most comfortable, comfortable and healing way. Because of Psalm 107, verse 20, he sent his word and he healed them and he delivered them from all their destructions. And that's plural. All their destructions as a result of the fall Or for us in Christ. Going back to the flesh, then, and then through confession and through a work of, of grace that's humbled us, we, we get right back into functioning in our proper image. So the dove went out the second time and brought back an olive branch and it was green. And that spoke of the beautiful life of Christ. And green always speaks of grace and mercy, the color of it. And that's why when we, the plants and everywhere we look and we walk, everywhere we walk on the grass, that's just God reminding us of the, of the beauty of his son and in the creation that we are in him in Ephesians 2 and verse 10. So the dove went out the third time and each time it was intervals of seven as was brought out. Intervals of seven. Seven, obviously, in this sense, speaks of completion. Not to get in too much to the numbers, but it speaks of completion. Now, if you, if you divide seven, what do you come up with? The only way is three and four. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit dealing with the earth, and four is the earth's number. It's the only way that God can deal with that. Thank God, we were dealt about in eternity. Both heaven and earth was dealt with. Christ is the answer to both. He's he, he is to us as the church now, and he will be to the to the nation of Israel as his people uh, in the millennial reign. And uh, we'll get into those things at a different time. But we also brought out that it was uh, there was a fresh olive leaf, and we brought in the type. Uh, Again, and the, the fresh olive leaf, and notice it was fresh. It was a fresh olive leaf. What does that speak of? Well, when, by the time we get into heaven, even before the twenty-one judgments come onto the earth and deal with it, while we're in heaven, and remember, in Revelations chapter six to eighteen it has nothing to do with the church. It's dealing with Jacob's trouble. And we see that in Jeremiah 30 and verse 7 because his name, Jacob's name, was changed in Genesis 32 and verse 23 from Jacob to Israel. So we know that's dealing with Israel. And that's brought out again in in Daniel 12 and verse 1. This is all prophecy that I'm talking about. And the scriptures bring that out for all of us to clear. But it was brought back. But by the time we get into heaven... The church is called up in Revelations 4 and verse 1, even there in the type, as much as many want to argue against it, he said, come up here and see which things which must come to pass. What must come to pass with us in Christ? Is everything finished in John 19, 30? Yes. So he's given us a view and he brings us into heaven first. First place is he opens up heaven (laughs) to John, the beloved apostle. He's on the Isle of Patmos, an insane asylum where the most criminally wicked and insane was put there by by that wicked emperor. Boiled him, tried to boil him alive three times in all. Couldn't kill him. Just put him on an island, said get rid of him. And that's when God gave us revelations, brought it out and finish the canon of scriptures in AD of 96. But again, what we see there, it come up and see these things which must come to pass, and then it goes into all those different things that we'll get into in the future. But then by the time we get to Revelations, the fifth chapter, and this has to do with the fresh olive leaf. And this is what it says, when they saw the lamb, remember they were weeping there because no one could open the books. And they were weeping. And he said, weep not. The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. He opened the book. And when they saw him, it's brought out in the original, not in certain translations, but in Revelations 5 and verse 6, they saw him as a just freshly slain lamb. You know, that's how we'll always see him. We'll see him as just a just freshly f- slain lamb in each of us. In Revelations 2 and 17, we'll have that intimate fellowship with him. And you say, how? I'll tell you how he's God. That's how. <laughs> and nothing's impossible with him. In Matthew 19 and verse 26 and scores of other scriptures that bring out that reality. And, of course, and that's a new one. And then New Covenant one and the Old Covenant is Genesis 18, verse 14. And, and, and Jeremiah 32 and verse 17. Nothing's too wonderful or too impossible for him. They see him just as freshly slain. And the fresh olive leaf was the first sign here on the earth of the resurrection of the earth to new life after the flood. He was baptizing the earth. (laughs) Baptizing and out of it, through that out came what? New life, new life. And the dove with the olive leaf was the herald of salvation. Who do you suppose that's picturing? That's Christ. He's the only herald of salvation. And that's why Paul even said, we do not preach ourselves. God forbids it, and he does, in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, but we preach Christ, so that your faith doesn't stand in man's power or thinking that it's power, but in Christ himself and in God in 1 Corinthians 2, in verse 5. So the seven days there, now... He's recreated the earth, and now they're new, seven days. We see that it's been, again, he constitutes the week established at the new creation that God had priorly did it in, in Genesis, the first chapter. In those uh, first three and thir- through 31 verses, he brings that out. But the seven days here, brand new. And what day did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? He rose from the dead on Sunday. That's why we as the church, we meet on a Sunday. We don't meet on Saturday. Jewish, Sabbath, that's the last day of the week. We worship on the first day where he rose from the dead, sent down the Holy Spirit in Acts the second chapter and began to form the church and he did it then in Acts the second chapter. So he arranged everything about it. So again, what what, what do we see? The raven was sent out, and what does it do? It seeks, what? Food and settles upon every, what? A carcass. A carcass, now. Even the ravens there in type, in type, as we bring this out. And we have to go to Job 28 and verse 7. It says, there is a path which no fowl knows. You know what that brings out? No foul, no demonic, angelic being ever knew it. Satan didn't know it. I would say they never would have crucified Christ. That's brought out in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 8: 2, 7, and 8. They had never would have crucified him, thinking they were going to get rid of him <laughs> on the earth from displaying himself on the earth which Satan still tries to get back to himself, which previously, I believe, was his as Lucifer. And scores of scriptures bring that out. Scores of it. and But there is a path which no fowl knows and which the vulture's eye doesn't see. They don't see it. And that's why even in 28, verse 1 of Job, surely there is a vein for silver. There's a place for redemption. And that started in Christ and silver speaks of redemption as gold speaks of the deity. And that's why when you see in heaven, you see all kinds of things about gold in the the heavens where we are, you don't see silver, no need for redemption there, it's been done. There's a vein for the silver and a place for gold where they find it. And this of course is bringing out our trials. In Job 23 and verse 10, about the gold here and our trials in 1 Peter 1 and verse 7. And so, again, the olive leaf was a fresh olive leaf. Revelations 5, 6, it was the first sign, and we see that beautifully. But the dove will only settle upon what is dry and clean. No judgment, no judgment, and perfectly clean and pure. That was our precious Savior. That's why the Bible makes it crystal clear in Luke 1 and verse 35 and in Hebrews 4 and verse 15. He never had a sin nature. He never did. That's why his blood was completely different than fallen blood, by the way, as some would teach the opposite of that. Even the baby's blood itself was separate from the mother's blood, by the way. And he had no human male to perform or to make or to form his humanity. It was the Holy Spirit that did it. And he was the spotless lamb in Exodus 12, 1 through 13. And he was the spotless one as a red heifer, even in terms of his submission in Numbers 19, 1 and 2. And so we see that very, very clear, the dove would only settle the Holy Spirit upon what would be dry And clean, specifically clean. God commanded Noah to leave the ark with his family. With his family. He's a leader. Noah's a leader of his family. And as long as Noah's led by God, he'll lead his family properly. And then all the animals. And what did he do? He renewed the blessing of the creation from that point on. The old? No, this is all a type about you and I. Because the ark represents salvation above judgment, does it not? The ark rested above the waters of judgment. So in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, we are saved, we as the church. Now, we as the church are saved by grace through faith, faith dependence, and even that, not of yourselves, but a gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works which God has foreordained for you and I to walk in. And to walk to walk and follow Christ, and he follows us in every single step as he, as he intercedes for us in Romans 8 and verse 34, in Hebrews 9, 24, in Hebrews 7, verse 25, he's interceding for us as our comforter, And then we have the Holy Spirit who not only rests on us but he's in us in John 14 and verse 17 thus forming the church, obviously. And and now he rests in us and he's renewing the blessing constantly. And that's Ephesians 4 and 23. Having our minds constantly renewed. This is all these types of preaching it, teaching us in germ but it's brought out in our full revelation with these heavenly epistles that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his elevated sovereign position in heaven and glory gave to the Apostle Paul for us, his church. And God commanded Noah back here to leave the ark. And then in that sense, he was renewing the blessing of creation. And then we're going to We're going to wrap it up with this. There were two events, and we talked about this previous. There were two events in the life of Noah that have worldwide importance. And the two things that we've always talked about. Our foundation, does the foundation for Christians, Christians, listen, does the foundation need to be built in each individual for them to properly understand prophecy? Yes, because the Bible, again, in 2 Peter 1 and verse 19, says we have a more sure word of prophecy. (laughs) We have, of course, Christ, the day star. And he dawns on us each time we come to hear the word. He's constantly renewing us through the mind of Christ that he's made ours in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16. And that's why it says in Philippians 2 and verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so we see again... The first thing, the first thing, those two things of worldwide importance, his sacrifice. He was taught sacrifice. And the second, the prophetic curse that was pronounced upon his sons. A blessing and curse. There was a blessing and curse. So those two things. Now, sacrifice, foundational truth, we're in Christ. Settled as the church. But now on the earth, there's two things still available in prophecy being worked out on the earth. A curse or a blessing. We're already the church. Now, even right now in time, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. Any people group, any ethnicity, whosoever receives Jesus Christ becomes a part of the church until the rapture. Until the rapture. So the first thing that he did, and this is true, the first thing that that Noah did was to build an altar for burnt sacrifice. We went into about what the burnt sacrifice in type was. That's going to be brought out in Leviticus, the first chapter, in the first six verses there. We see that crystal clear. Okay? It was that. And that burnt offering is, is the issue of what is brought out in John 1 and verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world between the Father and the Son. It's not dealing with sins. Nowhere there does it say he took away the sins of the whole world, every human being. It said that he dealt with the sin question in terms of the justice and integrity and righteousness and holiness of God himself. That was between the Father and the Son, the first thing about the cross was God God the Son in his humanity propitiating his Father, that's brought out in Genesis 22 and verse 8. God will provide himself a lamb. That's propitiation in its first stage, first and foremost important thing. God always first, and because God is first, by virtue of who he is, what does he desire in our hearts, in our minds? Every place. We don't, you've ever heard that God wants first place in this issue, in this area of your life. No, we don't give him first place. That's his by virtue of who he is. He wants every place. That's the renewing of the mind, the separating of the soul from the spirit in Ephesians 4 and verse 12. So that we can take, and only then through submission do we take the sword of the spirit. We're having the shield in Ephesians 6.16 and all the other armor. Then we take the sword. It's called the sword of the Spirit. He does the separating and bringing out the reality of who we are in Christ. We said that again in John 16, verses 13 and 14. So he built an altar for burnt sacrifice. And then that enters into the thank, thanking the Lord for that. Thanking the Lord for that. Then we get into the types. The two lots in, in Leviticus, the 16th chapter. You go right through into the 20s on those on that teaching there in, in Leviticus 16. The one lot was God's being, being propitiated. That was propitiation. Then he becomes the substitute for all those that would take their hand in Leviticus 1 and verse 4 individually and say, yes, I accept that. That you, that you paid for my sins. That's what that's bringing out in the second lot. And that's why the first goat was killed. The first goat was killed. And that was dealing with the, the Lord's lot. God providing himself a sacrifice. That's burnt offering, first and foremost. Then it goes into all the other offerings. Future time we'll, we'll get into as God leads us. And as we have to wrap this up very soon, but again, that's what these truths are bringing out here in a most fantastic way, in the most fantastic way. So again, that was the first thing that Moses was to, that Noah was to do was to build an ark for burnt sacrifice. It enters into thanks. And so now that God has been propitiated, then when we received Him in John 1.12 by putting our hand in the type, receiving Him in Leviticus one four. We offer, in Hebrews 13, verse 15, the sacrifices of praise. Because first, God was propitiated. And because of that, His Son could be our substitute, thereby reconciling us. God never had to be reconciled to us. No, He had to be propitiated. We had to be reconciled. One of these times, too, we want to go into the specifics of these truths, like reconciliation, regeneration, All of these things, imputation, impartation, these things are extremely necessary for us to understand fully even the types. But even more so, what we have in Christ as the antitype, who fulfills all prophecy and is the fulfillment of every single type. The types are the shadow. Christ Himself is the substance, and that's why in Hebrews eleven verse one, faith is the substantiation, the substance. We depend upon Christ and His for everything. He's the substance of God Himself. And so he built, the first thing he did was built an altar. And then he would pray for mercy in time to come. We'll just, we'll just handle this and then we'll start. Altar here. This is altar here is in the Hebrews where we get our Greek word, Thusiasterion. And enthousiasterion is the word altar. This is literally what it means. It's the meeting place between God and the true worshiper. Where do we meet God? Who bridged the gap? Who intercedes? Who does it all? It's Christ. Again, that's what Job was praying for, to finally come, because he, he was looking forward to it. And he was born again, even at that time, obviously but not part of the church. but in Job 9 and verse 33, the daysmen that we have and second Peter 1 and verse 19, we already have him. It's the meeting place and that's why even in Leviticus 1 and verse 1, where in certain translations God told Moses to gather them to the to, and where he would meet them as the congregation it doesn't say that in the original. is not even in the original not even there. It's the tent of the meeting, and that's Christ. He tabernacled himself in humanity. It's like a tent in John 1 and verse 14. These are what the types are bringing out. He's the meeting place between God and the true worshiper. We brought that out in in John 4 and verse 23. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit, Holy Spirit, and in truth, Christ. And in truth. And so when we look at that and we understand it, as God would have us to do so uh, this morning in a very clearer way in and in, in a way that will grow tr- uh, truthfully for all eternity, what we see there is the fantastic work, obviously, that only God could create. And that's why it says in, in John 4 and verse 24, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So when it says, they that worship him must, Worship him in spirit and truth harkens back to John three and verse twenty-seven. Can a man receive anything except to come from heaven? And then in John three, thirty, he must increase, but I must decrease to be a continued proper worshiper, a true worshiper. And the true worshipper is brought out in our proper image in first John five and verse twenty. And everything that comes against this true image that we are in Christ is an idol in 1 John 5 and verse 21. So it is the place where the meeting place between God and that individual that's a true worshiper. It is the place and we went into place we will in the future and when we finish up image and place, hopefully as a as a, as a book, the place of consecration where the Lord meets and communes with the humbled believer. That becomes a, that is, that is the manifestation of a sacred altar that is present and formed anywhere that the believer hears from God and obeys what they hear through a living faith dependence and obedience to Christ in his word. All these types are being brought out by this phenomenal truth here. And so as we close this out this morning, again, it was something the burnt sacrifice had to do, the burnt offering and sacrifice had to do with God being propitiated by the Son pertaining to the sin issue. It didn't have to do at that point with sins of believers choosing to receive him. That had to be taken care of first. And then he said to thank the Lord for that gracious protection, and that was the ark. It's where he was safe. So, is, is Noah in heaven? Yes. Definitely he's in heaven because of the gracious protection and the type of the ark to which he was in. And then he was to pray for mercy in time to come. That's brought out. We brought that out in Hebrews 3, 1 and 2, and in Hebrews 4, 1 through 13, which brings out 14 through 16 in Hebrews, in the types. And so, as we begin to finish this up, we know that God had swept away the old paradise, the old Garden of Eden. He, he, that was swept away, and from that time, th- through the judgment of the earth, he withdrew the place of his presence and set up his throne in heaven. That's why we're a heavenly people. The Jews and everyone else, unsaved, they're still an earthly people. What kind of people are we? Ephesians, the Epistle of Ephesians, we're a heavenly people. We're a heavenly people. And so he set up his throne. From that point on, that's the place where God reveals Himself to man. And then, I think Mike mentioned it in Revelations 1:7. Behold, he comes with the clouds. A multitude of believers and a whole angelic host, blocking out the sun like clouds. He comes with the clouds, and every eye will see him. And they which also pierced him, nation of Israel, given him over to the Roman government to be crucified. And then the whole earth wails because of him. Wails. Again, those, all the other population of the human beings that didn't get into the ark, okay, they did not want God. They did not want Christ, just like Cain. He did not want God in God's way. He didn't want it. And just like the flesh in us, when we function, we don't want God, we don't want His way. And so what makes us think that? Of course, they only wanted to get into the ark so they could continue in their own evil will that would never have changed apart from receiving Christ. And what, make, what would make us think otherwise that there's any good in man? So he speaks from heaven to reveal himself to man. That's what he's doing right now. Even in terms of speaking about prophecy to the church. Because only the church, those that are instructed in foundational truths, understand prophecy and it's much more it's a much more sure word for us and so we'll close that but all those sacrifices they they ascended to heaven and it wasn't so much the animal sacrifice that was ascending to heaven as it was about what it had accomplished and that's why you'll see in in the in the book of Leviticus, that it went up as a sweet savor in God's nostrils because it was always revealing his resting place in the reality of where God rests in his son and we rest in him. And so, again, thank God, thank God, because, again, where did that sacrifice and what it brought in, in terms of beauty and rest for God what did it, where did it rise to? It rose off the altar to where? To heaven. To heaven. So, Father, we thank you for the word this morning as far as, as you've given it to us. And I just thank you and praise you and, and I'm just going to trust you with all of us uh, for you to reveal these, these precious and, and phenomenal truths that, are, that you've made ours in Christ. For your glory his glory, and our blessing, Father. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.